Welcome to Making Moves, a podcast presented by Skate Like a Girl and the Center for Sport and Social Justice at Cal State University, East Bay. This is episode two, continuing the conversation on the future of sports and social justice, featuring a panel discussion with Professor Jeffrey Montes de Oca, Soccer Without Borders coaches Christina Rodriguez and Sophie Gothos, led by Kim Woozy from Skate Like a Girl. This is McKenna Duda, your host. I'm a Cal State East Bay alum, former collegiate, now recreational runner, and I just recently earned my bachelor's degree in kinesiology. Here, we'd like to serve our audience by educating and also inspiring y'all to feel empowered through sport, social justice, and skateboarding. All athletes, skateboarders, and fans of sport and social justice are welcome. To kick off today's episode, let's take a few minutes to be mindful. I'd like to share a tip from Dr. Aaron Miller, a lecturer of kinesiology at California State University, East Bay, specializing his research on collegiate level sports coaching. The world is complex and the information we have available to us today comes through a wide array of different size screens. But remember, books too allow us time to focus on one idea or a set of related ideas without distraction. Sometimes that beats the rabbit holes that hyperlinks can lead us down. Taking a break between activities can help you hone in on your power to focus and thus deal with the information overload that presents. What I like to do is begin my meditation outdoors by taking off my shoes, feeling the ground beneath my feet, letting this heat or the cold travel up from the soles of my feet to the top of my head. And if the sun is shining, I let the sunlight wash down over me. When I am meditating inside, I like to visualize this process instead. In my experience, if you meditate every day, you begin to be able to feel the liquid sunlight wash over you, even when the sun isn't shining. It takes practice, but I try not to judge myself if I miss a day. I doubt it matters what you choose as long as it doesn't harm you or someone else in order to get your break away. And when you read or listen to new ideas, try to stay present with them. Try to soak them in without letting them consume you. They're yours to digest or not after all. And so the choice is yours. As they say, you are what you eat. Beyond striving for a professional career in a sport, sport can be used as a vessel to promote inclusivity. Potential barriers to this include stigmas, accessibility, insensitivity to trauma, the list goes on. Because our youth are our future, we must further address how to connect beyond the physical barriers within modern day sports. All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Kim Woozy. I am one of the directors of Skate Like a Girl here in the Bay Area. And today I am excited to have an amazing panel of folks with me um, for our episode on sports and the future of sports and social justice. So first up, we have Christina Rodriguez. Christina is recently graduated from CSU East Bay in the fall of 2020 and is continuing her education at East Bay in hopes of applying to physical therapy school. She is a former AmeriCorps Up to Us coach for Soccer Without Borders and continues to work with our high school girls team. She's also a student representative for the Center for Sport and Social Justice. 
Secondly, welcome, Christina. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, secondly, we have Sophie Gothals. Uh, Sophie works for Soccer Without Borders as well and is the head coach of the high school girls team at Castlemont and Rudesdale High Schools in East Oakland. She serves mainly unaccompanied minors from Central America through sports-based youth development. She also runs Soccer Without Borders, Oakland's uh, academic support program, and believes in a holistic approach to supporting youth through sport. Welcome, Sophie. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. And uh, last but not least, we have Jeffrey Montez. Uh, Jeffrey Montez de Oca is a professor in the sociology department and the founding director of the Center for the Critical Study of Sport at the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs. With broad research interests in sociological theory, sport, media, identity, and inequality, the Cold War, and urban food security, his research has focused on college football, media, and popular culture during the early Cold War that he looked at through the lens of political economy. His current research primarily focuses on the National Football League's marketing strategies, and the social construction of health and doping in elite French athletics during the second half of the 20th century. He also researches constructions of race and masculinity in sport films and other media. At UCCS, he teaches courses on sociological theory, sport, gender sexuality, and popular culture. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Now that I hear you read that, boy, it's it's quite a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I'm so excited to have you all here today. We're going to actually just start off with Jeff. Um, you know, you have a very interesting research and area of study. Um, I'm curious, you know, given all your research and your background and the work you've done, uh, what do you see is some of the problematic approaches that continue to occur in sports today? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a great question for us to start this discussion with. Um, so given the approach I take in my research and in my teaching, uh, the thing I would focus on, there's a central thing I would focus on, which is commercialization and the commercialization of sport at all levels. I mean, it's kind of obvious when we look at like elite sports, um, how sponsorship and other business practices create a really unhealthy and exploitive environment. But I think what's significant is more broadly, commercialization creates a structuring logic within sport. One of the terms that people use um, in, in sports studies is the performance principle. So this is um, a set of ideas and attitudes that creates a value structure around an instrumental means to end attitude that just emphasizes measurable outcomes. Right. And we just see this across all levels of sports. Right. And so it's this again, it's a structuring logic. It's a way of thinking that organizes how we build our institutions and the things that people do within those spaces and what we teach for those of us that coach. Right. We're, we're sort of forced uh, to follow this performance principle. The other thing that it does is it creates a pyramid in the U.S. sports system. You know, and you like you think about it at the bottom of the pyramid, there is this large space of youth sport. 
And lots of kids are encouraged to come in and participate in sport. But as they age and they advance in their athletic careers, there's a winnowing down or a weeding out of people as the competition increases. And so the idea is that we're creating this pyramid that that leads to the production of really elite athletes. And so we have, we do, you know, the United States, we do great in the Olympics. I mean, in terms of the medal count, right? Our professional sports and our professionalized amateur sports, right? Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous athletes. But what that means is a lot of people along the way fall out. Um, and by design, people fall out of, um, out of sports. The other thing we see is that youth sports has become increasingly expensive and as a result, increasingly exclusionary, right? And a lot of that has to do with the fact that because our sports system is so commercialized, uh, the youth sport has to be profitable for, for it to even exist, right? So much of it, as particularly as it moves out of a more public sector and into a private sector, which, which we really see. So commercialization creates an exclusionary sports system and basically bad public policy because sport resources are distributed unevenly, which means health resources are distributed unevenly. Um, it all, also the drive to make sports profitable and goal oriented. And this is a big thing for me. It really robs sport of some of the things that, that like when we think about why do people engage in sport in the first place? What draws us for those of us that are athletes, that are coaches, that are fans, what really draws us to sport? Um, is it the ability to make money? Actually, research shows most people don't, that's not what attracts them to sport, right, is profitability. It's about community. It's about friendships, the friendships that we have over a lifetime. It's about the pleasure of movement, feeling your body move and creating a sense of, of transcendence, right, through sport. So for me, the biggest, you know, problem that leads to a lot of other problems is the commercialization of sport within a capitalist society. Thank you, Jeff. And I know that there's probably so much more, you know, we could, we could chat about, but just, you know, for our listeners, just starting there as a baseline um, it's a, it's a really interesting point. Cause with, I grew up playing team sports as well, but now being in this world of skateboarding, which people like to, kind of debate whether we want to call it a sport or not. Um, it is going into the Olympics this summer. Um, we literally see the rise in participation over, you know, the past few years. Um, and especially over this past year with, with quarantine, um, and people really just desiring, uh, to do an activity that's not measured because, you know, you can measure skateboard and there is competition, but really that's not the root of the culture. Um, and it's, really a lot of people join our programs and want to learn because of the community aspect. Um, and of course the benefits of, you know, the physical exercise. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with skateboarding with this introduction of the commercialization with the Olympics and at skate like a girl, one of our goals really is to, um, educate and introduce newer skaters, um, and really hold on to the foundations of why we continue to skate, um, 
which is, you know, not necessarily for most of us, the commercialization, the competition or getting sponsored or anything like that, but really just for the community aspect. Um, so thank you, Jeff, for your insight. Very interesting stuff. Um, next question. I want to switch gears and chat with Christina for a minute. Um, you know, with your experience coaching and, and growing up participating in sports, um, I guess, can you just share a little bit about your story and, you know, what led you to your relationship with sports, both as a younger person and now currently? Yeah, definitely. I think building off of what Jeff said, I definitely had that experience of like that whole pyramid and the exclusion that comes from it. So growing up, I was really excited to start playing sports because no girl in my family had ever played sports. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so exciting that I'm interested in it. And it's just going to, it's just going to be really fun. That was my intention. Um, I grew up playing soccer and I was lucky enough to play in like competitive quote unquote elite soccer out here in the Bay area. Um, that experience for me at first was very exciting. My idea of sports was really fun, positive, but as I got into this competitive side of soccer, I completely, completely hated it. It got to the point where I hated going to soccer practice. Um, I felt extremely excluded by both teammates and coaches. Um, you know, the diversity within these groups really wasn't there. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, I was often the only girl of color. And if I was, and if I wasn't, there was another girl, but I had to constantly assimilate myself, which I didn't see that when I was younger, but looking back at it now, I see why I did not like it at all. Nobody was coming from the same background as I was, you know, I'm bottom class economically. I'm in a completely... I'm living in a completely different area of the Bay Area where it's, yeah, low-income families, families of color. So getting the opportunity to play in high competitive soccer, yeah, it's cool to say that I did, but to be honest with you, I didn't enjoy it. Um, so I consistently carried that idea like, oh my God, I hate sports. Like, I do not like what it does for kids. I got to high school, I got to play in my high school league you know, it was really exciting, whatever I was. That's like one of the main things I was looking forward to in my sports realm. Like I got to play high school soccer, but again, it was just like not fun at all for that same reason that I constantly felt excluded. I couldn't relate to girls on my team. Um, my coaches were not very nice often. And so like Jeff said, that whole pyramid, it's like, you see it starting there. It's like, okay, I'm getting excluded from the very beginning. The minute I stepped into it, I was like, okay, yeah. I wanted to play college soccer. Didn't happen because I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to play. My dad was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not playing anymore. Like, this is not something I see myself doing for the rest of my life. Even though at the very beginning, you know, as a kid, you have this dream of wanting to be a professional sports player. And that was not it for me. I was like, I hate sports. Got into college, taking these like social justice courses in sports. And I'm like, why did I not see this or have this when I was younger? And I was like, yeah, no, this, I can't, I can't agree with it because my experience definitely does not correlate with this. My coaches were not in the same concept. So yeah, growing up, it was just like super negative, super down about it. Don't talk to me about sports. I don't want anything to do with them. I hate them. Don't even bring up the idea about sports. I don't want anything to do with them. And I got really anxious at the fact that people were like, come and play with us. I'm like, no, I can't because of the trauma that comes with it. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get yelled at or, oh my God, I'm going to do really bad or oh my gosh, like people are going to judge me because I play competitive soccer and I'm no good. 
And so, yeah, my whole connection with sports, extremely, extremely negative growing up until I got to Soccer Without Borders. I was skeptical at first, not because I didn't believe what they do, their mission with soccer is, but just because of my own experience, extremely, extremely negative about sports. And I was like, you know what? I want to give this a try because everything deserves a second chance. And their mission is to use sports as a guide for their participants to go beyond sports. And I look back at it now and it's completely, my connection with sports is completely positive. I see what I got to learn at the university level in these courses on social justice and sports. And I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what I've wanted growing up my whole life. And I'm thankful that I get to participate and change the idea of sports, not just for myself, but for the participants that we get to work with, it's really exciting to see them enjoy coming to practice. Like, oh, why don't we have practice today? And I'm like, oh my God, like I would have killed to have that urge growing up to be like, oh my God, I don't want practice to get canceled. But actually I was like, oh my God, can practice get canceled all week? That's what I wanted every week. And I'm really thankful that my perspective on sports has definitely flipped and been something I've always wanted it to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I know that you've been a, a up to us, AmeriCorps up to us coach, which is basically trauma sensitive uh, youth development training for coaches. And um, at Skate Like a Girl, we also have many of our instructors um, go through the up to us coach training. Um, it, it really sounds like now that you see that side as an adult and coaching younger folks, um, that could have made a difference for you, you know, growing up. Do you see that? when you do coach younger folks now with the training that you have, which is, isn't just about, um, trying to produce professional athletes or elite athletes, but really, um, keeping them participating, focusing on their mental health, their physical health. Do you see the difference in how the kids show up with the tools that you have? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, there's a different connection built with each participant. And I think that's something that I value so much because again, like I said, growing up, I didn't even have a relationship with my coaches. It was kind of just show up and be a robot and do what you're expected to do today, which is quote unquote win. Right. And with the up to us training, I remember going to it and being like, Oh my God, like this, it was overwhelming for me because I've never been exposed to such coaching techniques in my life, nor expected us. No, I didn't expect so much from it in a positive way. You know, it, it constantly, it gave me this opportunity to approach how to build relationships with a participant or a player. And I'm, it's, it's amazing because like you said, that's, this is what keeps participants wanting to show up. It goes beyond sports. You know, that relationship that you build with each individual participant is different, but they're so strong because, you know, you get to know them in a very different manner beyond their sports ability which is amazing to me because yeah like you can find a participant who's really good at soccer for example but it goes beyond that because you're with these participants learning to work with them outside of sports essentially and I'm so grateful for that absolutely yeah and um I guess tying it back to Jeff some of your studies um you know, we see groups like AmeriCorps up to us, soccer without borders, get like a girl where we're kind of at the ground level, um, working to transform what it's like to be a youth participating in sport and movement. Um, what, what do you see in terms of like the other aspects of the sport industry or the community professional sports? Like 
what is some of the work that can be done there to um, similarly transform the culture to be more positive and less problematic? You know, that's a great question. And um, I tend to be pretty skeptical about the big sports industries uh, and their ability to, to transform and to be um, more progressive, uh, healthier spaces, because they really are guided by this need to make profit. And, and that has, you know, like I said, that creates a structuring logic. I mean, and, and there's something really enticing about it. So, um, I got my kids signed up for for flag football in in a commercial league uh, locally here here in Colorado Springs, and and I volunteered to coach, you know, so I provide free labor, um, and which is necessary for for that league to be profitable. And one of the reasons we signed up for that league is because it claims to be non competitive, but there's a tournament. Is a season-long tournament that culminates in a uh, in a championship game, and the winners get a trophy, or they get a ring, or they get a T-shirt, or you know different rewards at the end of of each year, and and there are several different parks that the kids come out of, and so um, you're playing against teams where you don't know the kids. You're the only team from your park, and you're playing every week against teams of kids you you don't know. And there's tiebreakers in this tournament and seeding for a playoff structure. So winning, I've coming from an athletic family without the kind of coaching training that Christina is talking about. Um, I found I found myself finding winning really enticing and really intoxicating, and there was a lot of pleasure in it. And so while I could create a really integrative space in my own team uh, with my kids and develop their skills, you know, not just as as players, but as as young people, um, you better believe we competed with ferocity. And if, and if points was a tiebreaker, there were times I'd run up the score uh, because, you know, that, that, that there is a reward to that. And, and, and then I had to reflect on this and say, my God, what am, you know, here I am, I'm teaching one thing in the classroom um, during the week and I'm doing something else on the weekends with youth sport. Those were kids, right? We ran up the score against kids. It's it's crazy. So I think one of the things that uh, is really productive is is the kind of work you're doing, uh, the kind of work all three of you are doing in the community and changing attitudes about space and creating alternative spaces to the commercialized spaces, to the dominant spaces. And when that happens, then that can have some impact on those institutions. As individuals, we really can't do anything, right? And that's, and I'm hoping that's like the point of my story is not that I sold out and sold my soul in there, but as an individual, I assimilated to the institutional space. If we don't have counter institutional spaces to, to build upon and stand on, then we're not going to be able to challenge these dominant spaces. Got it. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, starting with the next generation and the youth and, you know, from the ground up, really uh, planting these seeds to, to create that kind of 
future sport world or just world in general that we, you know, we want to live into. Um, and, and that's the perfect kind of opportunity to, uh, check in with Sophie about, you know, the work that soccer without borders is doing, um, you know, similar to our organization skate, like a girl, there is an emphasis on social justice. Uh, can you share with us, like, what does that mean for soccer without borders and how does that play out in the programming? Because ultimately, you know, sport, there is competitive, you know, a competitive pillar inside of this, but, I think it's like, we're kind of exploring how can that be healthy and not only problematic. Um, so yeah, can you share with us how that plays out for soccer without borders? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, social justice to soccer without borders means being allies for the communities that we serve. So standing by uplifting, bolstering the communities that we work with. And that really looks like addressing those systemic barriers to access and inclusion and participation for the folks that we work with. So I think often we think of social justice as like big acts, but often the things that are barriers are very addressable. So a girl might not be playing soccer because she doesn't have a safe way to get to the field or because she cannot gain access to the equipment that she needs. And so an act of, Offending that barrier for soccer without borders is providing a ride, a safe way to get to practice or giving a free pair of cleats. But those those small acts of support um, helping to change the system that we live in so that it is more accessible to all. Um, Jeff, you talked about money, like providing a service that is free. So soccer without borders programs are free. And that in and of itself is an act of protest against the system that we function in because it opens it up to anyone and everyone. Um, I think another large thing that we do in our programming is showing every participant that they belong there, that if they want to be there, they are welcome and that they are going to be encouraged. And that so often many of the populations that we serve, newcomer and refugee youth are told that you know, many spaces aren't for them, which is deeply wrong and unfair. And so giving them a space where we say, this is for you. You are welcome here. We want you to be here. You are seen, you are valued. Um, that is, is a big part of how we structure our programs. Thank you. Yeah. I think it seems like, you know, what we're touching on here is that there's an opportunity to like, as Jeff mentioned, tap into that, you know, human interest in winning and progressing. Um, a lot of times skaters get addicted to the progression. Like you will sit there or stand there trying 50 times before you land the trick. Um, and in a way that's like a personal win, but how can we tap into that aspect of just being human, but also, you know, um, make sure we're doing it in a way that isn't problematic and also doing it in a way where that's not the only thing, right? Like sometimes we have youth or adults, cause we do adult programming as well. Um, where maybe someone's injured, but they still come to the event, the program camp, whatever it is. And they just want to hang out and maybe, you know, they can be on the sidelines cheering their friends on, or even taking photos. Like there's aspects where, um, I think the community piece of, a lot of the work that soccer without borders is doing see like a girl, 
um, these more mission driven sports, you know, organizations, uh, get to really emphasize and it has people coming back. And I think also it has people continue to participate into, you know, their adulthood and, and beyond. And I think that's something I'm excited about. I'm curious to see how that might impact future generations, right? If we have a whole generation of young people, you know, having healthy competition and having healthy drive to win, but also seeing the opportunity that sport is beyond just being the best, being the coolest, being the most famous, um, how that might inform other aspects of the sport community and sport industry. So, uh, this next question is kind of for everyone. So whoever wants to jump in, um, you know, given that we all have such different roles in the community, um, and we have our own personal relationship to sports, um, and social justice, uh, can each of you share just one action step or practice that folks who are maybe listening, um, could just take into their own lives. Cause a lot of us think like, Oh, well, I'm a fan of the NFL or I'm a fan of, you know, professional soccer. And, you know, it, it's kind of disheartening sometimes to think like, Oh, wow, there are a lot of issues, you know? Um, but you know, for those who aren't coaches or work directly with youth, um, is there any advice or insights that you all think that we could take, you know, into our own lives? Does anyone want to go first, Jeff? All right. I'll go first because mine are probably more general than Christina or Sophia's. Um, well, the first thing I want to say is this is so inspiring. Listening to Christina and Sophia is just so inspiring, especially given the kinds of stuff I focus on in, in my research, uh, which is so negative and, and the you two are so positive. Um, you know, you make me think about, um, you know, I, I apologize, I'm going to sound like a professor, but you make me think about the, the great German socialist playwright Bertolt Brecht, who, you know, total elite culture, right, playwright, but he loves sport. And the reason why he loved sport was its ability to reach people and to connect with people at a profound emotional level. Right. But he wasn't about Olympic sport. Right. He was about community sport, the kind of sport organization you all are participating in and that you're building. And I would say in terms of like a practice is invest in the sorts of organizations like um, like Soccer Without Borders, uh, organizations that, that exist outside of that commercial market. Uh, or that commercial model, I should say, that really invest in youth that have a social justice mission. Uh, you know, sure, like you said, he healthy competition. We all love it, right? And there's different ways of understanding being competitive. I mean, I've really gotten into, um, I've sort of rediscovered my, my, my passion for mountain biking in recent years. And, and so, you know, maybe get it, like you were saying with the, with the skateboarding, him, you know, maybe getting to a really technical section without putting my feet down. It might take me a lot of attempts. I'll do it over and over and over. I'll session it. Um, and so that's a kind of com competition with myself. But the main thing there for me is, you know, it's not about the competition. You know, I, I yeah, there's some competition there with myself or whatever. Um, yeah, I like the fitness aspect of it. Um, but that's not the main motivation. I just like being out, outside and, uh, and sweating and getting my adrenaline pumping and being excited. And so investing in competitive, not competitive, in community sports, 
Uh, one of the things that's not studied at all, which I was kind of surprising as I started to look into this, I, I haven't really studied it either, but I, I want to, which is uh, sport collectives. I think that's just such a, there's so much potential for sport collectives. And, and I don't think there's a lot of discussion about it um, because, you know, there's already a global collective movement. Um, it allows people to share resources to lower costs, to be able to, to be able to offer like free access to people so they can do these things. Um, it's, it's a model of organization that emphasizes cooperation and solidarity over competition and division. Uh, there's so much potential there. Um, so uh, yeah, so I would say, yeah, invest in, in organizations like soccer without borders, uh, uh, what is it? What's yours, Kim? Skate like a girl. Skate like a girl. Yeah, just just sounds fantastic. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff, for that insight. How about Christina? Any uh, tips or some actions? I think definitely learning to create a safe space. That's something that I I learned working with Software Without Borders. Um, I. At first, I didn't understand what that concept meant personally. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know how you created a space like that. And the two years that I've gotten to work with Talk Without Borders, I've seen the impact. Like it has a huge impact, not just in creating a space where girls want to learn a sport that they've never played or that they've been told they're not meant to play sports, but just wanting them to come to show because they're in the presence of other people they feel comfortable around. Um, and that's very hard oftentimes because they're coming from very different backgrounds and very intense backgrounds that they've often, they've fleed their country because safety reasons, right? And so you want to create that safe space because they don't, they, A, they don't know what that looks like. They don't know what that means, but also because you want them to feel comfortable in a space of like, oh, like I feel good here with these people every day. And I learned that a lot through this pandemic, actually. A lot of the girls, we would Zoom through the very beginning and it was really hard it was really hard. A lot of the girls were like, oh my God, I hate this. Like, I really don't like this. Like, well, I'm happy I get to see your face, but I wish I was in this space physically because it takes a lot of their daily day, da daily problems that they might be having, whether at home, within themselves. And it, I've heard this from a lot of girls, like, you know, I come here, whether it be an hour or an hour and a half to get away from my stress. And I feel so good the minute I'm here and the minute I leave. And I'm so sad when I can't when I can't make it to a practice because I don't get to get away from my daily stresses. Um, and so it's nice because then they bring friends, and I think that's the, that makes me really happy seeing them invite friends over because like oh my god they really like this space and that means they want people they like to be in that space with them because a they like the girls around them that they've met for the first time, and b they want their friends to enjoy that space with them. And then they bring their parents, and it's just like a really fun thing to see because you're like oh my god. You're so and so's parents. So nice to meet you. And so, yeah, I think creating that safe space allows for the com eventually the whole community to feel welcomed in it. You know, and like Sophie said, that's what we want to do. We want the community to feel welcome, not just their children, but families to feel very welcomed and comfortable. A having their children there and themselves being present as well. So it's really exciting, and it changes this whole concept as well of like having pr parents present at soccer practice or at a sports event, because I grew up seeing parents present at soccer practice. They're like, hey, you're doing that wrong. And you're like, why isn't my daughter playing? You know, and it's very different. It's very different. It's really exciting. They're like, oh, can I play? And you're like, yeah, come on in and join us. 
So it's, I think that's definitely a big thing I wish was practiced when I was younger and can carry on with sports as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting how, when we think of safe space, oftentimes we go to like just physical, like, you know, are there cars or is there, you know, is there a fence or whatever? Right. And then, um, we kind of don't, maybe sometimes we overlook just the mental aspect and, um, you know, that's a lot of, you know, at skate, like a girl, similarly, uh, providing a, a physical and mental safe space for those who either didn't feel safe or oftentimes, um, don't feel included. Right. So inclusion as an aspect of safety is so important. Seeing others that look like you being acknowledged, um, you know, being addressed, being heard, uh, just having the experience that you matter. And I love what you said about the physical safe space, like going to a soccer field or just like a piece of grass. And for us, it's the skate park and just feeling a sense of community and inclusion and togetherness. And, um, it takes intention to create that, right. It takes mm-hmm. structures. It takes programs like ours. Um, cause that doesn't happen naturally. Right. Um, especially in, you know, s- uh, certain neighborhoods where physical safety is an issue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you, Christina, for your insight. How about Sophie, any thoughts on how everyday folks can, you know, um, take on, you know, a step or a practice for themselves, uh, to, to really create, you know, this future that we are all working so hard to create. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the largest things that I've learned through working at soccer without borders is that there is usually a, a reason why you don't see a group of participants or you don't see, um, certain people like reflected in mainstream media, there, there's a why. Um, and I think asking yourself and getting to the root of that why is really important for changing the system. So for example, if I notice that a girl isn't coming to practice, you don't kind of just leave it. I'll go to her house. We'll have lunch. We'll talk about what's going on. And generally there is, there's a reason. And the reason is often addressable and like, also has to do with the way in which our world is structured right now. And those barriers are, are not always viewable right on the surface, but if you dig a little deeper and, and ask yourself those harder questions, why are there no girls playing on this field? Why are there no girls of color playing on this field? What about that space is, is creating that environment where girls and girls of color particularly don't feel comfortable. I think asking yourself those hard why questions is really important to then changing the way that you bring yourself into a space, create a space to ensure that those barriers disappear. That's, I think asking those whys is really paramount in, in changing it. Yeah. It's like definitely being more curious and intentional, right. And looking into those blind spots that we might not be aware of, or we definitely aren't aware of because they are in our blind spot. Right. Um, I love that so much. And I think, um, you know, same with skate, like a girl, we are always kind of shifting our program models and asking the question, who's not showing up. And for a long time, it was youth, right. Cause skateboarding was like, you know, predominantly older men, um, by older, I mean, you know, like, you know, twenties teens, twenties, but we didn't see five-year-olds at the skate park. Right. Um, and then over time that shifted, you know, also to women of all ages and, 
Um, you recently, um, we always share this kind of story because I think it's so powerful, but language is important, right? And um, we recently changed one of our flagship programs uh, from like ladies night, which was kind of a play on like reclaiming, you know, that concept to uh, women in trans skate sessions. And as soon as we made that shift, we saw a lot more folks from the trans community or those who identify as non-binary or gender non-conforming show up. Um, and we, cause we were asking ourselves, okay, are they not showing up because they just aren't out there and they don't want to skate. And then we discovered that was not true by serving the community. And we actually got that. They didn't feel, they weren't sure if a program called ladies night, you know, was for them or not. Um, so just that kind of like always looking like who's not showing up and why I think is so important and so valuable. And that's really how we truly make, you know, these activities more inclusive and diverse. Um, so yeah, really great. And I think I'll just add in one thing that I hope that everyone can take on, whether you're, you know, 12 years old or 50 years old, um, is just the idea of showing up. Right. And again, going back to a lot of Jeff's research around how sport has been so focused on the measurable outcomes, um, with skateboarding, there's a lot of fear involved and just people getting themselves to the program or to the skate spot, to the skate park is a huge accomplishment, whether you do anything on your board or not. Um, and I think this can be translated to other activities going on a walk, right? Cause oftentimes we, um, might make ourselves wrong. Like, oh, I'm not good at sports or, oh, I suck at fitness or whatever it is because we're in this world of measuring. Right. But Hey, you just showing up to, to go outside, to move your body for five minutes, um, is something to be, I think, uh, you know, a proud of, or just like, remember that it doesn't always have to be competitive and, um, and just appreciating, you know, what we do have in terms of like what our bodies are capable of. Um, and I think, you know, the quarantine and COVID has really brought that to light for a lot of folks. Cause we don't have a lot of rec sports right now. Like gyms have been closed. So that's actually, uh, my next question for everyone is that, you know, this past year has really forced us to redesign and rethink, you know, how sport and a lot of the structures that we had before that we had the luxury of, right. Um, have had to be, have had to be totally flipped, you know, upside down. I'm curious from your view, what are some of the positives that we can take away, you know, from this experience as the pandemic subsides and as we move forward, like instead of going back, right. But as we move forward, what are some any positives that you see that we can continue to sort of implement or practice in, in the world of sports or just movement? Jeff, do you want to go first? Sure. I'll go first. Um, yeah. So obviously the pandemic has just been an undeniable nightmare. It's been horrible. I mean, I'm sure we've all lost family, friends because of this pandemic. We've people have saw, I mean, I'm so privileged. Um, my income's been uninterrupted. Uh, I still have my home. Um, so, uh, uh, but, but I am glad that you're asking about the positives. Cause I do think that around, especially in sport, there are some silver linings from, at least from my perspective. Um, yeah, early in the pandemic, when the big commercialized, sports shut down and people couldn't just turn on their television or click on their, you know, their cell phone or whatever and, and watch other people engage in sports. It, it started to, you know, you know, so, so first it creates a moment of confusion. What do I do with my time? How do I spend my leisure time when this consumer pleasure 
that I normally can enjoy is no longer available. And um, what you've already alluded to, and, and data is really clear, people have started to get more active in their own lives. People have participated. Um, I had, you know, for, for long complicated reasons, I had rediscovered uh, my love for mountain biking about a year before uh, the pandemic started. And so around the time, the, so then the pandemic started and I just doubled down and just, you know, I'm, I, I, where I live, I'm on, it's called the front range. So I'm right on the edge of the Eastern side of the Rocky mountains in 15 minutes of riding from my house, I'm in just amazing, you know, amazing uh, mountain wilderness uh, to ride my bicycle. And so, you know, I was out there doing it four five, six times a week, um, as much as my my old man legs could handle. You know, I, I have to say, Kim, I was skateboarding in the 1970s. So when you say 20 year olds are older, I, I take that very personally. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, so we know that people have gotten more active and, and have moved, some people at least are moving out of that consumer mode of sport is something other people do. And I consume mm -hmm. to sport is something I do too. And then they can discover just the real pleasure of sport, why we love it, why we loved it as kids, you know, kind of broadening that pyramid, hopefully a little bit. Yeah, there's been some consequences. I decided to upgrade my bicycle because I'd been doing it for a few years. And because of the pandemic, there's a global shortage on bicycles and the, the used bike market, just the, the price skyrocketed. Um, mm -hmm. So I had to spend a lot of money to buy a, a new bicycle. So, so that's a downside, but now I've got a, a killer mountain bike and um, I'll be going out this afternoon for a ride. So I can't wait to get out there. Fantastic. And we did see that with skateboarding as well as roller skates. Um, you know, a lot of the equipment that was never an issue before we saw a spike, right. in participation. And of course that impacted like accessibility. Um, however, at the same time with our organization, for example, uh, we usually had loaner gear and I, I think soccer without borders is similar. Um, but because we weren't doing that, we just started distributing gear. So, um, we stepped up sort of our outreach and our distribution where people donate gear to us. Um, we have used gear and we were, our goal was just to get as many skateboards and helmets and pads out into the community, especially, um, for, you know, neighborhoods that didn't have access. So, um, we've been, uh, just excited to partner with folks like Oakland international high school. They have a skate club. Um, you know, they had, uh, food drives and just kind of equipment drives and we were able to get some boards out there. And, um, it's been really cool to see that people have considered new activities as a result. Right. So, uh, how about Christina? What, um, what do you see are some positives that we can take away from the past year moving forward? I think some of the positives that I saw this year was, I think like Jess said, I agree with Jeff, we were able to pick up new activities. And I say that not for me personally, but I think even with the girls that I work with, because a lot of them, we had this opportunity of like bikes being offered to us this year. And so a lot of them were really excited, like, yes, let's go on bike rides. I think one of, I didn't get to go on this one, but they biked all the way from one of the parks that we practice at to in and out So like, that was like the motivation, in and out motivation. Nice. And so that, I think that's so cool because, you know, if we did have that opportunity, I think just like with regular 
movement day life, I think most of them would be like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Like I have to do homework, like not today, you know, and understandable. Uh, but especially with these times, a lot of them have wanting to pick up different things. A lot of them have even gone into like doing like workout sessions. Like mm -hmm. if, I tell you not, it was hard at first. <laughs> if the pandemic wasn't here, I know a lot of them would be like, oh, why are we doing squats again? Or like, why are we doing fitness today? But a lot of them today are like, no, like let's do fitness. And I think a cool thing about this pandemic is because I work with the high school girls, we have a lot of like OG girls within us right now too that come and are still part of the group. And they've been able to take on leadership roles through this pandemic a lot, which I think is super cool. I think it, it's amazing. Like by all means, if you want to lead a practice or even help design a practice, let's do it. Like they're so, they're 10 times more motivated to want to be more involved in practice. So that's I think awesome. that's, I think that's so cool. I've, I've seen that such, such a huge positive from this pandemic, even like new girls that we've been able, who have joined Soccer Without Borders, the high school girls teams, they are like, oh my God, like, can I suggest something? And it's like, it's so, it's so cool. I think that's one of the most amazing things that I've seen through this pandemic. And it's really exciting because they're like, oh my God, we're going on a bike ride. Yes. Or like, oh my gosh, like, can we do this like workout today? Even if it's for like 10 minutes, we're like, yes, let's do it. Like, it's, it's exciting to see that. Yeah. It seems like, you know, we've all had the opportunity to just kind of form new habits and shift our perspective on stuff that occurred to us as like a chore or sucky yeah. to something that we're excited about. Like for me, it's just been like walking. Like I was never someone who was excited <laughs> to walk before. And now I'm like, I'm so grateful. I get to go outside and go on this walk. Yes, um, definitely. Awesome. How about you, Sophie? What do you see as some positives to take away from this past year? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that it's made us re-examine and like reimagine our relationship to space and sport. So I think that we've redesigned like what a field is, what a ball is, what play is, what fun is, because we've just been forced to. And I think in many ways, that's a beautiful and more inclusive thing. Like, if you don't have a soccer ball at home, you can use a, a balled up roll of socks and you can try and juggle that. And that's something that I don't think was super commonplace before, but re just inventing new ways to participate has been a really beautiful thing. I know that Soccer Without Borders did like a stay at home season and, and kids homes became their field, which is something that is really beautiful and really opening and just I think can be carried on throughout this just thinking of new creative ways that sport can exist in your everyday life um and kind of going off of what Christina said I think another thing is that because leagues were on pause we at least at Soccer Without Borders re-engineered what our Saturdays were so normally they would have been league games but now they're different activities like tie-dyeing, hiking, going to see a beach in San Francisco, going to like create a, a poster, a piece of art in different ways. So expanding also what the idea of a sports team or a sports environment does. Mm. It doesn't always just have to be a place where you play this game or do this activity. It really can be a place where you explore outdoors, explore art, explore how you feel, talk to your friends, talk to your teammates and, and expanding that, that understanding of the team space is also something that I hope can continue to be taken on post pandemic. Yeah. Uh, our Saturdays, I think 
for me, that's one of, been one of the most like amazing things ever because we're a lot of these girls are doing activities they've never done or thought they would do. Mm. I know we went to the beach one time and one of the girls was like, oh my God, this is my first time going to the beach. And I was like, wait, are you serious? She's like, yeah, I've never been to a beach. I'm so excited. Like I brought my sandals. Can you take pictures of me so I can send to my mom and my sister? And I'm like, oh my God, yes, of course. I'm going to take every picture I can. So a lot of these girls are doing a, a lot of activities that they never anticipated to do or have never even thought about doing or have never heard in their life. So I think that's been one of the great positives from this pandemic. Saturdays have been readapted and recreated to like super fun cool activities. That do involve soccer, but also like super different activities outside of soccer. I love that. Jeff, did you have something to add? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say just sort of on this, this idea of expanding. Uh, another space where I've seen expanding is in social media. Um, just a lot of community being built uh, around people's sport participation on, on social media. So what I, obviously I'm, I'm pretty invested in the mountain biking and we get a lot of snow here. Unlike where you live in the Bay area, I actually grew up in the Bay area, um, in the Bay area, unlike the Bay area, we get a lot of snow. And so the trails, you can't ride on them when they're either too deep in snow or when the snow melts and they get nutty because it's really clay here. So people are constantly like, what's the status of this area? What's the status of that area? You know, and they're like, oh, well, I was there the other day and blah, blah, blah. Uh, people looking for, you know, parts break on your bicycle, people looking for parts at a, at a discount sharing, you know, so a mm -hmm. sharing economy is, 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 is emerging. So there's all sorts of ways in which people are just cleverly using what's available for them to, uh, to build community. And that's just super exciting. Absolutely. It seems like, you know, I, I always like to say that I really do believe like humans, we are resilient. And when we're, you know, faced with challenges, we can adapt and evolve and innovate and come together. Um, and kind of what I'm hearing uh, based on all of our discussion is just this opportunity to um, really see each other as, you know, multi, like multi-layered, you know, people and not just uh, this like, oh, I'm an athlete or I am a competitor, right? Um, even with skateboarding, like, oh, I'm just a skateboarder, but to actually see each other as more, right? Mentors, friends, family, um, leaders, teachers, and I think just uh, taking away some of the, the rigidness of sports and the structures that existed in the past and moving towards, like you had mentioned, Jeff, like a collective and a community where it isn't just about what you do, you know, when you're on the field or on your skateboard, um, or on your bike, but it's really about, you know, who you are as a person and instilling that in the youth and, and hopefully, um, you know, impacting that into the other aspects, you know, of, you know, the sport community, whether it's the commercial side or the pro side. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's an exciting way to kind of reimagine sport and it has me excited, you know, to see what, what comes next. Um, both for youth and their relationship to movement and fun and play, which is so important. I think that's something that never gets old, right? Like everyone always wants to have fun, even when you're an adult and we kind of lose that sometimes when we get so hyper-focused on the competition. Um, and we see that on the pro side as well, right? Like I think ultimately, um, performance is linked to just the joy. Right. And so, um, for, you know, adult professional athletes to find the joy in, you know, what they're doing as well. Um, and hopefully just everyone can move towards that in general. Um, especially when, 
some of our basic needs are, you know, challenged by what's going on in the world. Um, but yeah, Jeff, did you have any final thoughts to add? I was just going to say something. You said youth several times and I've said it a few times as well, but you know, none of us are getting any younger, but I hope we all stay active in sport that, that what we're doing. Yeah. It should be focused on youth, but it shouldn't be focused on youth alone because again, that's that narrow attitude about sport, which is sport is for young people. And, it, and as I think it was Sophia was suggesting, we can expand what we mean by sport and human movement, physical activity, and people should be active throughout their life. It, it, it gives meaning to our lives. It keeps us healthier. It keeps us happier. It allows us to forge uh, friendships and community. There, there's so much value to sport that, that, that can get overlooked or minimized um, in, the, in the dominant model we have now. Absolutely. We, uh, the oldest person we've ever had at a skate, like a girl program was 65. Um, so we're always trying to beat that record. Um, a lot of people will reach out to us and say, Hey, I'm 40. Am I too old? I think I'm too old to start skateboarding. And we're like, no, <laughs> like the record is 65. And I know there's older folks out there still, you know, participating in skateboarding or, you know, juggling a soccer ball even. Um, and I think that's such a beautiful, message to put out there is that, Hey, look, it's not about, you know, being the best. And it's just about moving your body, appreciating, you know, the opportunity to move your body, um, and how that can actually play out into so many other aspects of life. Um, we have, uh, one of the episodes on our podcast about mental health and we dig deeper into, you know, sort of the tie between mental health, social health, physical health. So thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Christina, for being here. Um, hope everyone that's listening today uh, found our chat to be valuable and a little inspirational. And we'll see you on the next one. This podcast was brought to you by Skate Like a Girl and the Center for Sport and Social Justice at Cal State University East Bay. It was produced by McKenna Duda, Kim Woozy, and Kristen Ebeling. The music is by Marby Miller. A big thank you to Dr. Matthew Atencio and Dr. Missy Wright for their support.